Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, we're teasing a lot till we got him on the execution block. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. And uh, yeah, today on Politics AF, right now, Mind's Touch is live. Yeah. Midas Touch is live. Live Midas Touch justice has arrived. Legal AF. Trump finally faces justice in most important legal week yet. Legal AF streamed 32 minutes ago. Here's the poop. Seriously. Oh. If someone's oh colon is clogged and they have constipation, and it's Lauren been two, Bobert? three, or even ten days without relief. Donald Trump was arrested and arraigned this week in Manhattan. Now that the indictment has been unsealed and the statement of facts released, were there any surprises? What happens next and how did Donald Uh, it says a, a restaurant. Arrest Trump. And then I'm going to paste my little thing I'm doing today. And, uh, oh, yeah. What was that? Go subscribe, motherfuckers. Go subscribe Let's see um five hundred thirty three friends oh good yeah share it with because uh, I've got the most friends in my personal Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans respond like you probably expected they would, despicably. We will yeah. discuss. Special counsel Treach Jack Smith had some big wins this week in his criminal investigation into Donald Trump. Former Vice President Mike Pence announced he would not be appealing a federal court order requiring his testimony before the Washington, D.C. grand jury. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals denied Donald Trump's appeal trying to block the testimony of his other former top aides under executive privilege yeah. and some other big wins by Jack Smith that we will discuss on this episode of Legal AF. Another major ruling was handed down by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals this week. The Court of Appeals reversed federal judge Carl Nichols, a Trump appointee's prior order, holding that the obstruction of official proceeding count could not be filed against January 6th insurrectionists, except in the narrowest of circumstances. This ruling by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals confirms that federal prosecutors 
can bring this very powerful obstruction of an official proceeding charge, um, and that the prior convictions of these charges will yeah, not be yeah. overturned, which could spell big trouble for Donald Trump as well. We will discuss. Neener, Speaking of Trump neener. judges, a Trump judge, and I should add a man from the Northern District of Texas, issued a disgusting order on Friday blocking the FDA's approval of Mifepristone, the very safe abortion pill. And in the ruling, this Trump-appointed man-judge said, pregnancy is not dangerous. It's a normal physiological function that should not be subject to the administrative rule procedures from the year 2000. And within almost minutes, though, of that ruling, another judge, a judge in the state of Washington, who was appointed by President Obama, uh, made a conflicting ruling compelling the FDA to state keep its authorization keep for this very safe drug. What are the implications for these dueling orders? Dueling we will ruling. discuss. And finally, right-wing Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas was exposed engaging in what could only be called despicable criminal conduct in a bombshell report by ProPublica. Um, he was caught taking millions of dollars in gifts over the course of many of decades from a right-wing donor. We're talking about private jet flights. Arlen We're talking about Crow, trips on super yachts. We're talking about luxury vacations every single summer, Half partying with leaders of the Federalist Society. So what happens next there? What can be done? We will discuss that as well here on Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. Michael Popak, how are you doing? I'm doing great. What an introduction. And uh, got a lot to cover, but because I follow some of the social media, I made in honor of Tim Russert <laughs> a whiteboard, which I posted on my social media. This just keeps track of, we're going to need a bigger board, but this is just where we are with Donald Trump so far. We're going to talk about number one, Manhattan DA indictment already happened. We're going to talk about Fulton County, Georgia. Which we expect to be an indictment in May. Three is Jack Smith and all his grand juries in the District of Columbia. Four is E. Jean Carroll civil rape case, federal court in New York, uh -huh. that's going to trial on April the 25th. Five is the New York Attorney General $250 million civil fraud case going to trial in New York State Court on October the 2nd. And then at least two other major civil cases against Donald Trump involving Brian Sicknick, the former Capitol Police officer, and his and his family under the KKK Act, and a civil fraud case involving things that Donald Trump and his family did when they were on The Celebrity Apprentice to sell uh, video phones that was a fraud that's also going against him. This is what this guy has to wake up every day and think about and look at. Yeah, you know, people were saying the wheels of justice, we talked about it, they move slower than sometimes we would like, but as we've been keeping the legal AFers informed about, they have been moving, you know, and something that's not on that board as well, because it doesn't directly relate to Trump, although it indirectly relates to Trump. Jury selection starts next week in Dominion's 1.6 
billion dollar defamation case against Fox, right? April 13th will be the first day of jury selection there. And we will, of course, be covering that on Legal AF. There, Rupert Murdoch tried to avoid testifying at trial. And this past week, the judge says, I ain't going to quash that if uh, Dominion wants Rupert Murdoch to testify and Lachlan Murdoch, they are going to testify. A very historic week indeed. Um, Donald Trump was arrested and he was arraigned. Finally, finally, there should be no one above the law. And this week demonstrated that very basic principle. There's nothing politicized about what Alvin Bragg did. What was politicized was the fact that for decades and decades and decades, Donald Trump was not brought to justice, that he got away with it, that the Republicans gave him political cover. And by the way, following his arrest, following his arraignment, um, leading up to it, the MAGA Republicans continued to do that, right? You have the House Judiciary Committee, the House Oversight Committee. You've got Jim Jordan, who's not even a licensed lawyer, who just like rolls up his sleeves and just starts yelling and screaming on TV about a bunch of nonsense. And James Comer, the head of the Oversight Committee, also not a lawyer. So two not licensed lawyers, although Jim Jordan at least went to law school, but two non-licensed lawyers continue to try to interfere. And by the way, I believe their conduct is criminal. Try to interfere with Alvin Bragg's now criminal case against Donald Trump. They subpoenaed Mark Pomerantz, who used to be an assistant special uh, DA under Cy Vance and who resigned under Alvin Bragg. They want Pomerantz to testify. They just subpoenaed Matt Colangelo, uh, who was a former DOJ official, top DOJ official, former official at the attorney general's office as well in New York and is a uh, deputy now as well uh, within the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So they want to subpoena all of the people who work for Alvin Bragg. And Alvin Bragg just issued a response saying, you'd better serve your constituents if like, you focused on real issues and stopped criminally interfering with the investigations that we're doing. And now a criminal case. This is an unprecedented effort by you to try to politicize and interfere with this. We prosecute falsifying business record cases every single day here. And so that was some of the fallout. But Popak, why don't you go over, just, just, just were there any surprises to you in the way the arrest went down, the way the arraignment went down, what you saw in the indictment? Yeah. Maybe just talk about the indictment briefly as well. And, and any surprises other than when the police officer, when Donald Trump was exiting after he got arrested and fingerprinted, <laughs> just uh, didn't hold the door for him and just let the door slam on, on, on Donald Trump? Any well, other surprises? Yeah, welcome to New York, yeah, um, Trump. Yeah, a few that have come out, including some reporting. And we got a transcript now, about 34 pages of what actually happened in the arraignment room, the courtroom with Judge Mershon, you and I and your brothers and Karen and others. We were we were commentating, but we were getting a feed report from what was going on in the room. Um, and now we know what happened in that room. And I want to describe that as well. Um, it starts at the beginning when they booked him. Um, they asked Trump what his profession was. Mm -hmm. And you would have thought as much time as he spends calling himself the president and 45, 
um, he responded that he, he didn't say uh, former president of the United States, president of the United States. He said businessman. He was already, already back to being just a, just a businessman. And then he gave his height and weight, six foot, six foot two and 240 pounds. So he, sh- he got back to where he needed to be. Supposedly he tells people he's six, three, I think on his, on his uh, mug shot that he's using for, for uh, grifting for fundraising, it lists him as six, five. So, but that's not true. So then he goes into the courtroom and we have to contrast Donald Trump before he got into the courtroom, social truthing all along um, and attacking the presiding judge, Judge Mershon, as a Trump-hating Democrat judge and family and all of that. And the attacks on Alvin Bragg, you, literally a photo of him with a baseball bat trying to brain Alvin, Alvin Bragg before he got in the courtroom with what transpired in that 34 minutes or, or so in the courtroom and then what he did in Mar-a-Lago. Because in the courtroom, he was a small little whimpering man who just sat with hands folded looking forlorn and angry at times who didn't say anything at all. He shuffled papers. You got Joe, here's the picture we put up for those that are watching and I'll describe it. You've got in the first chair, the new lawyer he's hired, Todd Blanche. He's at, he's what we call the first chair lawyer. He'll probably be the lead trial lawyer for most of what's going on. Next to him, Susan Necklace, who lost his Trump organization or Trump cases against the Manhattan DA for 17 counts of felony fraud back in uh-huh. December. Then Donald Trump, then Joe Tacopina. He's got the seat usually reserved by a third level associate who has to sit on a witness or sit on a client and just keep him busy. He's not really having a major role. And then you've got this, the current Michael Cohen for um, Donald Trump. What I mean by that is the in-house consigliere Boris Epstein, who he himself has had his own phone picked up by the feds. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's part of a criminal investigation by Jack Smith. He also brought Todd Blanche, the new lawyer to the, to the, to the game because he had represented represents Boris Epstein. So that's the motley crew that's sitting there. But the reporting from in the room is that other than one comment, uh, two comments that Donald Trump made, they were the following. Do you plead guilty or not guilty to the charges? Um, the, 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 the judge having kicked it off with let's get to the arraignment of of Mr. Trump. That's how he kicked it off. How do you plead? He said, not guilty. At the end, the judge, after listening to Chris Conroy for the Manhattan DA's office, um, after reading the indictment, say, "There's um, we're worried about Mr. Trump and his attacks on prosecutors, prosecutors' families, the impact on the jury, the impact on the city at large. And having listened to that, the judge said, look, Um, First Amendment is important. He's got the right to speak. But he looked at Trump and said, you are not allowed to incite civil disobedience and civil disorder. And I'm going to watch you carefully. I'm not going to put a gag order in place now. But he also lectured the president. I'm sure the former president, I'm sure Trump wasn't happy about it. And he said, if you are disruptive in my courtroom, in other words, I'm in charge, not you. I will have no problem removing you from this courtroom. Do you understand that? And Trump said, yes. And, and I want you back in December. Um, and we'll talk about the December date in a minute, which is the, new, the next time they'll all be back in front of the courtroom. Doesn't mean the next time anything's going to happen in the case. It's the next time they'll be together in the courtroom. And I'll talk about why it's December or why I think it's December. But he said, uh, I understand your, your, your lawyers may want to have you zoom in 
but I got to treat you like any other criminal defendant. So I want you back here in December. Do you understand? He said, yes. And that was the end. Donald Trump, you know, uh, acted a couple of times like, oh, I don't want to see the indictment. He handed it to Joe Tacopina. Uh, I'm, I'm above the indictment. I don't want to see it. Then he grabbed it back because he wanted to actually read what was in it. And then it, and then people are complaining, Ben, about uh, why December? Why December? Why is this going faster? Because the judge understands that there's going to be a lot of motion practice and likely appeals in this case because of the um, the nature of the prosecution and, the, frankly, the nature of the defendant. And so nine months between now and then allows the, the inevitable motion to dismiss the indictment practice, the motion to attack the grand jury minutes and the, and the entire charging process that was used by Alvin Bragg. Um, and then get through an appellate process, one or two levels of appeal in New York, either the first level appeal at the first department for Manhattan or at the ultimate appeal for the highest level court in New York, which is the Court of Appeals. And then that's about nine months. It takes about six or eight months to get all that done. And then let's be right back here in December when all appeals are done. The indictment is I've, res I've resolved the indictment issues. They make a motion to move the case to Staten Island and the judge. I'm sure we'll deny it. Uh, we'll watch Donald Trump to see if he needs to be gagged from now until then. So it's about Definitely. the right amount of time. I know everybody's upset um, about, you know, let's go to trial in three months. But none of these cases are going to trial in three months. I just did a hot take on a, on a guy who interfered with the 2016 election and Hillary Clinton getting elected. And he just got convicted in a court of law now, seven years later. So. Things are moving as about as, as quickly as they need to. Glacial. And there's a lot of work for both sides, prosecution and defense between now and December. I think what the judge wants, Ben, Judge Bershon wants, is he wants sort of everything cleared away. And all he's got to do is deal with setting the trial and all of that. In the meantime, Trump leaves leaves the courtroom and goes right back at a press conference or whatever he did in that ballroom, attacking the the uh, the judge is his surrogates attacking and doxing daughters of the judge and family members of the judge and let me just leave it on this and turn it back to you most courts and most judges run for election some at the highest level in some states are appointed by the governor but even that is political most judges and in new york especially florida too california i believe as well they run for office usually under a party flag, either they're Democrats, Republicans, or they're independents. So to say he's a Democrat or this prosecutor who's also an elected position is a Democrat, right, that doesn't mean you have to align only Republican prosecutors, as one of our producers said today, uh, Salty. It, are we at the world now where only Republicans can prosecute Republicans and Republican judges can hear those cases and Democrats, Democrats? No, that's not how our justice system worked. And I'm sorry that everybody's just waking up on the far, far MAGA right to understand that we have an elected judiciary where there are Democrats that serve in office as law enforcement prosecutors and on the bench. But that's the world that we live in, just like we have to put up on the other side of the aisle with, you know, Clarence Thomas. We'll talk about it later, you know, um, being in bed with mega MAGA uh, donors for the last 20 years, along with his wife. And I'd push back on that slightly, though, because what we should have to deal with, it is okay that there are judges or and justices who come from the side of Republicans, just as it is okay that there are judges and justices who come who are Democrat, uh, who are backed by the Democratic Party. 
The issue with Clarence Thomas, though, of course, is that is exactly what should be avoided. That is not just unethical, that not only is he appointed by a Republican, uh, but the fact that he's receiving millions and millions of dollars in gifts from Republican donors, tainting his ability to be a fair and impartial judge. I mean, set aside the mere fact that uh, the appearance of impropriety is something that should be avoided on the bench. You've got Justice Clarence Thomas just out there taking private jets and uh, private jet flights and pri and super yacht trips to, to you know, you know, traveling around on exotic islands and wearing T-shirts that has the name of the yacht, the Michaela, and going to these exclusive retreats like each and every each and every summer. I mean, yeah, they're right there for those watching. That's that's one of the ways ProPublica was able to identify this on like Clarence Thomas. He uh, he wears the shirts of all of the summer trips that they go on. It has a photo of the yacht, so it would say the Indonesia trip, the Greek island trip, so on uh, and so forth. Popak, I'll make this observation, too, about the December date and about the speed in which this the Trump case is moving at. I can just say from my own experience, it's actually moving faster than other criminal cases that I'm aware about. You mentioned the case that was in the, uh, you know, that, that relates to election disinformation uh, in the Hillary Clinton election that now just went to trial. Um, I'm familiar with cases that five, seven, eight, ten years before they go to trial. And the judges now are on to Donald Trump's delay tactics, though. So they are moving these cases much quicker. I do not expect these Trump cases to go that far. Like, I would expect uh, this case to, you know, probably go to trial sometime in 2024. That December date, I think, is going to be a, a meaningful date and the court's going to have a very short leash, the same way uh, Judge Arthur Ngoron had a very short leash. Judge Arthur Ngoron, uh, another Manhattan judge in the uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James civil fraud case, who set a October 2nd, 2023 uh, trial date and said, this is etched in stone. You're not moving this at all. We know your dilatory and delay tactics. This ain't moving. And by the way, all of these dates actually line up very nicely because be before that December hearing, what we're going to see going back to your whiteboard there, Popak, is you're going to have the E. Jean Carroll case and you're going to see a lot more of Donald Trump sitting in a court with his arms crossed like that um, <laughs> because he's likely going to have to show up to that trial. Um, and then you're going to see the New York <laughs> Attorney General Letitia James case as well, um, where that civil fraud case, there's a criminal investigation taking place as well um, by Alvin Bragg uh, into the, the criminal conduct about that. So depending on how the jury rules there, I think one of the things Alvin Bragg is waiting on for those bigger charges, the fraudulent valuation and the tax crimes that Trump engaged in is what's going to happen with that jury 
in the New York AG case, how are they going to rule? Uh, and is Donald Trump, and if there's a finding that Trump engaged in this fraudulent valuation scheme in the New York AG case, I think that's when you'll see the criminal charges also brought by Alvin Bragg, which are even more serious criminal charges here. I know you got one final observation, yeah. Popak, and then we'll hit the next Yeah, the, the checkerboard you're talking about is really, really important. First to indict doesn't mean first to try. And then we've got the federal versus, <clears throat> pardon me, federal versus state interaction here. I'm I've done a hot take and will do a hot take on even if you indicted first, who do I think is going to try first? And where does Jack Smith, who may come out of the shoot third, but he may end up being first in line for his prosecutions, depending upon what he does. The other thing about the December date for Trump that I want to mention is I think it leaves plenty of time for what I predict will be a superseding indictment or an amended indictment, because if you there's a little bit of a mismatch and Karen Freeman Ignifolo, our co-anchor, did a nice job talking about it on Wednesday's show, between the statement of facts, which is not technically the indictment, and the indictment, which is the 34 felony charges, all for business record fraud and tampering of the books and records, the check register, the general ledger. And the way they get it up to a felony is the second fraud, the second crime, which can be a misdemeanor, <clears throat> pardon me, as well, is... Um, Either tax evasion, if you read the statement of claim, the statement of facts, tax evasion or election fraud, state or federal or something like that. The reason I'm a little bit loose on it is because the statement of facts talks about conspiracy, but there's no conspiracy count yet in the indictment. The statement of facts talks about tax issues, tax fraud and manipulation by taking a deduction for legal expenses paid to Michael Cohen when it wasn't really that. It was a payment to Stormy Daniels. So eventually, I think we're going to have, as this case develops over the next period of time, as the statement of facts merges into um, the uh, indictment, as things that Alvin Bragg said in his own press conference about conspiracy end up in the indictment, I think we're going to see a conspiracy count. I think we're going to see more flesh on the bone in the indictment. But he doesn't have to do that. Everyone's like, it's so bare bones and skeleton, the, the skeletal, the indictment. Right. Because you want to have a very small target to shoot at when the other side moves to dismiss the indictment. Put in your bare minimum, put the rest over in the statement of facts. But I think then before December, we'll see a superseding amended indictment that will bring in things like a conspiracy count. In addition to right now, we have the 34 counts of falsifying uh, business records, essentially each of the checks being separate counts. And that's, you know, ultimately, and by the way, Karen Friedman Agnifilo predicted that perfectly. And you think the superseding indictment will add additional conspiracy counts. So th there may be additional counts added even before that December date. And so we will keep everybody uh, posted there. Some big wins by special counsel Jack Smith that really spelled big trouble for Donald Trump. I want to talk about that. But first, let's take this quick break. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. All because I'm basically, like I said, Smith had some real... Here we go again, me and my lonesome ass friends, spin up your dope, mm -hmm. I should tell your mama on you. You don't have to test. Hmm. 
Somebody thanks for 105k. My name's Trista. I'm a mod stud producer. Um, hot on the trail of Trump going to fucking jail. So I cover all the pro-democracy podcasts. My, everything my touch is putting out these days. And, um, podcast 24-7. I'm in Oxford and Berkeley and Taipei Medical University on the schedule. Testimony of former hmm. Vice President Mike Pence. And so for anybody out there who was saying you know, Merrick Garland or Jack Smith, they should have filed this nine months ago. Would you really want to have sacrificed the testimony of all of the key witnesses? You, you don't want their testimony? Like, there is a practical aspect of being a prosecutor and being a trial lawyer where you have to introduce admissible evidence. And not only do you have to introduce admissible evidence, when you're in front of a jury, you've got to present them with the best evidence. And there are jury instructions that just even ask the jury, hey, if a party was capable of bringing a witness and they did not, you can hold that against them. And you better be damn sure if you didn't get the testimony of Pence or Cipollone or Philbin or Hirschman or any of these people or some of the big wins Stephen that, Popak, you're going to talk about some other wins that the uh, special counsel Jack Smith had. I guarantee you what Trump's lawyers would have said is, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Jack Smith had the opportunity to bring these individuals in, but he rushed the case. He rushed it, and he did not bring in. Therefore, there is reasonable doubt you will have to find. You have no choice but to find uh, Donald Trump not guilty here. And then imagine the fallout from that. So I just want to put it in that context. But Popak, give us some of the other big news and wins by special counsel. Yeah, you're, so, you're so right about all of that. I mean, when you have 1,000 people that you're prosecuting, another 1,000 that the Department of Justice has told Chief Judge Boasberg that they're going to be bringing. We're not done with the Jan 6 indictments. The first 950 are in. Are in. Half of them have already been convicted. 40 different trials by the Department of Justice. And then you've got these other prosecutions. Jack Smith and his people are like 40 and 0, 4 0 and 0 in front of some combination of Beryl Howell and uh, Boasberg. Uh, well, now one with Bozberg on all of these major issues. He could not have done that, as you said, Ben, a year and a half ago or two years ago. And he will. And it's not just about getting an indictment. Indictments are important. It's about winning a case at trial. And so you have to have the evidence now developed so that you can do that. And that's what he's doing. And the last <laughs> thing on Pence, and I'll move over to the seven other people that have to be paraded <laughs> in to the grand jury now who fought and lost and were at an appellate court told him, get into the grand jury because you're testifying in record time. All the things that we know from the Jan 6 committee and even Pence's own memoir, his own book, he's going to have to testify to under oath to a grand jury about the pressure that Donald Trump placed on him, um, the threats against him by Donald Trump, calling him the P word, saying that the hanging of Mike Pence was an appropriate bitch. reaction, trying to get him to, to participate in the fake elector scandal um, and scheme. Um, the mental state of Donald Trump leading into Jan 6th, during Jan 6th, and after Jan 6th. Um, his conversations with these lawyers around Donald Trump 
related to these issues. The Secret Service tried to whisk um, uh, Pence away and Pence refusing so he could go do his job and, and, and certify the election. That's all coming out in front of the grand jury. Plus, whatever, whatever Jack Smith's prosecutors have developed from other witnesses and other videos and social media and witness testimony that they're going to put in front of um, put in front of him and that have his fingerprints on it. So, um, as you said, we can't it's hard to keep ca calling everything blockbuster and breakthrough and, and breaking. But this is a big thing. First time in our history, a vice president will effectively be testifying against a president of the United States in a criminal matter. And now yeah. right behind him, because a three judge panel of the D.C. Circuit Court, a different three judge panel. We talked about one related to Evan Corcoran two weeks ago related to what we think is the Mar-a-Lago grand jury, where they in 72 hours record time had the both sides brief the issue, the Department of Justice and and uh, Trump's lawyers and Corcoran's lawyers and make the ruling. This went even faster. The D.C. as Karen Freeman Agnipolo said on one of our podcasts. Yeah, it's just the appellate court has had enough with Donald Trump and is now giving him hours to do what normally would take months. You want to appeal? Sure. You got 24 hours to do it. Let's go. And so they literally gave Trump filed an emergency appeal to stop Mark Meadows, Dan Scavino, Stephen Miller, his national security team of Robert O'Brien, John Ratcliffe and Ken Cuccinelli um, and others. And the three judge panel, which was two Obama and one Trump, which was um, Millett, Judge Millett, Judge um, uh, uh, Wilkins and Judge Katsis, we, what we think is in a 3-0 decision said you got two hours, Department of Justice, to tell us what your position is. Literally two hours, Ben. And the Department of Justice was ready, ready, working on those typewriters, those computers. Two hours they filed, and the appellate court took a look at it and said, right, emergency appeal denied. Uh -huh. And all of you guys get your stuff, get your butts into the chairs in the grand jury. And that's been happening since the end of last week into next week. And none of them, apparently, are going to be taking an appeal. And neither is Donald Trump, because we keep talking about over the course of 200 episodes or more of Legal AF about the right-wing MAGA majority, supermajority on the U.S. Supreme Court. And that is true. And really bad things have happened because of it, whether we talk about women's rights, abortion, the rights of, uh, on immigration policy, and all the other terrible rulings in criminal justice and civil rights that have come out of this court. But the one place where Donald Trump does not have home court advantage is everything related to his presidency, his papers, Mar-a-Lago, testimony, that apparently uh, even the right wing of the Supreme Court is not in his favor. And now Donald Trump, on at least two separate occasions in the last month, has said pass when it comes to trying to do an appeal to the Supreme Court. So you have, for example, former chief of staff, Mark mm -hmm. Meadows. You got former director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe. You got former national security advisor, Robert O'Brien. you this headline says, Exclusive National Security Officials Tell Special Counsel Trump Was Repeatedly Warned He Did Not Have the Authority to Seize Voting Machines. Taking a picture. Got former top aide Stephen Miller. You got former deputy chief of staff and social media director Dan Scavino. You got former aide Nick Luna. 
You got former A. John McKinty. You got former DHS official Ken Cuccinelli, who, by the way, already has done has testified now before the grand jury after uh, that ruling. I believe he testified middle of last week. But the reason also why that order is handed out so quickly right there is because all of this precedent has already been established that Trump is not entitled to executive privilege, right? He's trying to argue that he's got this executive privilege claim, that that's what keeps these communications confidential. And the law has been very clear and has now been ruled on with these prior objections that he's made before this batch of witnesses that, no, number one, you're the former president. You're not the current president. So on that basis alone, you shouldn't be able to assert executive privilege. You know, there's a narrow, narrow, narrow line of kind of undeveloped case law where it is possible a former president can assert executive privilege in interbranch disputes, maybe. This isn't an interbranch dispute. It's the current executive branch wants information, and it's a criminal investigation. So former executive can assert it against the current executive branch, where the current executive branch is not asserting executive privilege. And even if Trump was able to assert it, even if Biden, let's say Biden wanted to assert it, which Biden's not asserting it, Biden and is saying, um, why would I assert executive privilege where the assertion relates to someone trying to overthrow our Constitution? It's the exact opposite of what the constitutional duties are of a United States president. But even assuming you could assert it, it can be uh, overruled if the Department of Justice shows a compelling need and a compelling interest in their criminal investigation. And of course, they're able to show it there. So it's a real frivolous objection at this point to even assert executive privilege. But going back to what I said before, brick by brick by brick, you have to build these wins in order to get to the place where we are today, where the federal courts just like the Trump stop wasting their time. These people got to testify. So just imagine again that you go do trial for everybody who was like, we need to file this case nine months ago. Okay, so you want to go to trial without Pence, without Meadows, without Ratcliffe, without O'Brien, without Miller, without Luna, without McKenty, without Cuccinelli? Okay, that is the height of prosecutorial malpractice, if that's what you wanted to do. But that is why, look, Legal AF is an important show because we have to really talk about those types of issues because it's very easy for me to just say to you, yeah, you know, screw it. <laughs> Garland's taken way too long. Screw it. But I'm but what and, and to some extent I feel the pain. I, I do. I, I I wish it went faster. But what Garland had been doing and then what Jack Smith did when he took over is you've got to build these things to where we are today, where you can't poke any holes in it because Donald Trump is the ultimate hole poker and he's got all his people out there trying to poke holes and, and, and do all of that. So this is great, great prosecutorial work. Popak, I want to move on to the next big D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals victory right now. Um, and we talked about this here as well, this obstruction of an official proceeding charge. It is a critical, critical charge in the toolkit of federal prosecutors and you had this trump appointed judge carl nichols i think this is going to be a theme in this episode because when we talk about the ruling by the trump judge in texas who just uh, blocked the fda's 2000 approval of mifepristone 
a Trump-appointed judge. This is why elections have consequences. And by the way, you go back and you look at those debates between Trump and Hillary Clinton. She warned about every one of these things over and over again in those debates. But Popak, you want to walk us through what, why this D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals yeah. ruling was so important. And also the composition of this panel was interesting, though, because it did seem like the Biden judge here. <clears throat> says federal appeals court upholds Justice Department's use of key obstruction law in January 6 cases. Justice Pan on the Circuit Court of Appeals got one of the Trump judges, though, to move over into and a very young Trump judge, one of these really inexperienced Trump judges who's basically like my age, who is do you think he's two years older than me, who Donald Trump appointed? Um, who, by the way, at least I like went to trials like this lawyer. I don't think had any trial experience, you know, when he was appointed by by Donald, and he has this position in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, but Judge Pan, a Biden appointee, I think moved this judge in the right place. Can you discuss what happened? Yeah, well, let's start at the top, um, and, I'll, and we'll talk about that judge, Judge Walker, whose main experience before he took the bench and being appointed by Trump was to be the apologist for uh, Brett Kavanaugh when Brett Kavanaugh's candidacy um, uh, was in was taken on a lot of water for sexual assault charges <clears throat> that were being made against him. He went on TV 115 times to uh -huh. defend Brett Kavanaugh. So he's a far right person. But Pan, who's uh, the first um, Asian Pacific woman to ever serve in that position appointed by Biden, uh, who wrote the majority decision, she, you know, she had to get another vote. And Katsis, who is a right MAGA Trumper, was never going to go her way. So she found a way to thread the needle and get um, Walker to join her. The reason this is so important is because every judge in every judge in the D.C. Uh, circuit that is hearing all of these Jan 6 cases, these 500 or so that are scheduled ultimately either settle by plea or go to trial, Every one of them, except for Judge Nichols, has found that the there's two giant charges, two big hammers the Department of Justice uses um, in the process that are appropriately charged. One is seditious conspiracy and sedition and all of the major penalties related to that. But they reserve that for a small group, maybe 15 or 20 total of the entire 2000 that attacked the Capitol, who really fit fit the bill, fit the uh, elements of seditious conspiracy. The, the second biggest claim that they use in the appropriate uh, matters is the obstruction of official proceeding 18 U.S.C. 1512 of our code, which really came out of the Enron scandal, but has been applied in all sorts of criminal cases. If somebody uses obstructive conduct or corruptly obstructs the proceeding, the proceeding being... The insurrection, the attack on the Capitol, stopped the count of the electoral count and the certification of the electoral count under the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, as we all know well from the Jan 6 Committee and the video. All members of Congress had to flee for their lives, Republican included. 
belly crawling, army crawling to get out of the room, being whisked away by, by whatever was left of the Capitol Police that wasn't fighting on the steps and in the tunnels and in the portico to get them to safety, including Mike Pence, who ran off. And there's video of all that and Josh Hawley and all of that. OK, while that was going on, what wasn't going on was the certification of the election at that very moment. And so the Department of Justice and every judge but Judge Nichols agreed. Not only that, there's already been convictions. There's people that have both pled guilty to this charge, which is a 20-year felony, up to 20-year felony conviction, or have had a jury of their peers find that they, uh, they violated the statute. So if Judge Nichols' position held, and he took a very narrow reading that you and I talked about at the time, Ben, you know, eight, <laughs> yeah. nine months ago, took a very narrow reading that the only way this particular obstruction count could apply is literally if they interfered with the physical ballots, like the pieces of paper going into the box, being certified and gaveled by by the clerk and by Pence, that if you're not like getting near or touching, obstructing those ballots, those pieces of paper, then whatever you're doing outside, even though you blew up the room and you stopped the proceeding, that's not going to be obstruction. And that was such a narrow interpretation of what that really said, literally, that we were all scratching our head like, what is he talking about? That can't be the only scenario in which that statute applies. And the three-judge panel, including now Judge Walker, a Trumper who sided with Judge Pan two to one to vote that Nichols was wrong, said, look, if you look at the statute, there's three interpretations that are being offered. The government's interpretation, which is the most reasonable one, is that the words on the page say what they mean. They mean what they say. They say that if it's an obstruction, um, obstructive conduct, um, whoever corruptly alters, destroys, mutilates, conceals, or otherwise obstructs or impedes any official proceeding. Well, that's easy. The Congress certifying the elections official proceeding, the actions outside were intended and in fact did stop and impede that proceeding from happening. How else do you explain everybody running and crawling out of that chamber? Okay, so that's that was the DOJ's position. We, we stopped there. Read the language. The uh, the opponent, the three defendants, all of whom uh, were charged, at least one charge, of actually uh, fighting with and beating Capitol Police. So these, these were the worst of the worst. They said, well, we think it's even, we, we think it has to be like impeding the ballot counting or any other type of counting, any kind of evidence impairment. And there's no evidence <laughs> impairment. And so the court said, well, I see you're trying to make an evidence impairment or ballot impairment. But that's not what it says. And of those three interpretations, the most reasonable one is the Department of Justice. And that's the one we're going with. Now, look, there was 127 pages and we're boiling it down to make it sort of interesting. And you can follow here on Legal AF. But the, rea the result is the following. If they had sided with Nichols and if this three judge panel by majority vote had ruled that that obstruction count for that, that scenario couldn't be used for any Jan 6 prosecution, that not only means future indictments, that means everybody who got convicted of it or maybe even pled guilty, we'd have to talk about that, would have their, possibly have their convictions vacated and and uh, maybe a do-over in a trial if there was a trial setting. So it would have been disastrous, apocalyptic results. And the Department of Justice would have lost a giant hammer in their arsenal. 
because we're not done. Everybody forgets it's we, the first thousand are in. The Department of Justice has said we're still working round the clock. And Ben, I learned something new from the briefing. Um, maybe we could put the cover of the brief up. There is under Merrick Garland a capital siege section that has been created at the Department of Justice. And the lawyers that argued this brief yeah. are the chief and an attorney for the capital siege section of the Department of Justice. That means there's a group of people that all they do morning, noon, and night, from the moment they get up in the morning to the time they hit their, their head on the pillow, is Work nothing but capital siege investigation, prosecution. And there's volunteer. another thousand people who the think volunteer. they got away with it. They haven't been captured yet and arrested yet. But the Department of Justice is coming for them because we know it because they told the chief judge, get ready. We're going to need more resources. We may bring another thousand through over the next year. Yeah. You think about special counsel Jack Smith's toolkit also in his criminal investigations of Donald Trump. If he had lost that ability to bring an obstruction of official proceeding count against Donald Trump, that's likely to be one of the main charges ultimately brought against Donald Trump. And Salty, if you pull that statute up one more time this 18 usc On diaper dawn.
Roll up your dope. I ain't playing. I should tell your mama on you. This legal AF is on um, Instagram. <clears throat> no. Legal hobbyist. So yeah, thanks for 105k. My name's Trista. And uh, yeah. A podcast 24-7. All the pro-democracy podcasts. I also do ASMRs. I think I'm going to start doing some... Yo... Oh, e-news, um, <coughs> oh, this tickles, ow, Chicky, what the hell are you doing, what are you doing, stop it, you freak, black jump up, Even justice lock jump up. Lock jump. The investigation. I wrote this song on Memorial Day. And this is what the spirit of the soldiers had to say. Even now with the Russian, now we know what's up. If you believe in justice, lock Trump up. 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 Even now with the Russian, now we know what's up. If you believe in justice, lock Trump up. Lock Trump up. Lock Trump up. Trista Governor underscore POTUS 2024. Trista Looking at these uh, tags for fuck you, bud. Waiting for this conservative judge to decide Vi- Viagra should also be pulled from the market because it carries more risks than Mephistone.
<laughs> There's a lady with a sign, this is in Scotland, it says Trump is a cunt. There's a policeman in front of her. Most people hate Trump, think he's a cunt. <laughs> Hilarious. Right. Hey, and this is what the spirit of the soldiers had to say. Even down with the Russian, now we know what's up. If you believe in justice, lock Trump up. Lock Trump up. Lock Trump up. Lock Trump up. I'm gonna change my face to Buka to not Christopher Prez. I don't have any followers on Christopher Prez yet. <clears throat> <laughs> Chicky, Chicky, it's going so crazy. Curves. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Banerjee. Hmm. Okie doke. What are you doing, Chicky? Ouch. Ah, oh, fuck. Take out. Faker named Michael Gavin works at U.S. Air Force Medical Service. Studied at the Royal College of Surgeons at Edinburgh. 
No, um, let's see here. Um. Profile. <clears throat> Orthopedist, writer, mental health advocate, aspiring social activist, book, music, and animal lover. I mean, it sounds nice, but, uh, I just, um, I have a strong feeling it's just a fake person. Um, has a picture of the plane, U.S. Air Force. Um, pictures of himself in the car. It's like a hawk. Hi, yo, chicky. Chill. Updated cover photo. Um, some people like in a surgery room, operation room. 